0: Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a legend on the show. I have Dr. John Gray on. John is the author of the most well known and trusted relationship book of all time. Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus. USA Today listed his book as one of the top 10 most influential books in the last quarter century. In hardcover, it was the number one best selling book of the 1990s. Dr. Gray's books are translated into about 45 different languages in more than 100 countries, and it continues to be a bestseller today. So stay with us, share this out. I will have Dr. John Gray on in just a minute. and we are back let me bring john on john welcome to the show happy to be with you (laughs) i i i I was telling i did a live stream the other night after ramey's event and i said you know at the end ramey asked me to hang out and sitting there on the couch at one moment watching a movie with ramey and john gray and i i looked down i looked back and i'm like I can't believe this is my life right now. This is amazing. So it was so nice to meet you out there, and honored to have you on the show. Uh, thank you, Ken. I'm happy to be with you. So, so John, I started this about four years ago, and it was it was literally to help people get unstuck in life. We all go through. Um, craziness in life i think and a lot of people get stuck and so you know that's what this is all about why why don't we start with you talking about where you where it all started where you were born and raised
1: well when you say where it all started i want to say in heaven <laughs> <laughs> i grew up and uh came to planet earth i'm just being playful here uh, uh in houston texas houston texas and uh My mother was from California. My dad was from Oklahoma and uh, with oil family, River Oaks, Houston, Texas. And so I lived in a nice neighborhood. Everything was uh, rather safe and went to school there. I had no idea I'd become famous or anything like that as a kid. I'm just um, growing up and I would say that I had a very loving mother. I had a very loving father who was traveling quite a bit. and I was kind of left with four older brothers who, from some strange reason, were highly jealous of me and mischievous. Uh, so I wouldn't say I had a perfect childhood, <laughs> but I had a, a mother who was always there for me. And I'm very grateful for that. And, and a dad who was very proud of me.
0: Were you picked on by them?
1: Yeah. See, what happened is where there were four brothers before me and then uh, two children after me. So seven kids, a big family. Imagine nine people at the dinner table every night. Uh, it was wow. Quite, quite a scene. And uh, my. What I was teaching. I didn't know this as a kid, right? What I tell you what I learned later about my childhood, which was I was teaching a class. One of my books is Children Are From Heaven. It's a parenting guide and it teaches parents how to uh, manage your children to cooperate and, and do what you say without having to punish them. So it's a different theme, but my father was, you know, traditional Texas guy and he, um, w- boys would misbehave. My mother would say, I'll tell your father and we'd go up to his room and he'd pull out his belt and we'd bend over and he'd whip us. Okay. He gets spanked with a belt. And yeah. uh, that was how you did it. You know, we all just, okay, We'll listen to mom, whatever she says. And, <laughs> right. Uh, but by the time I came along, number five, so my I was teaching this class and my mother said, I introduced my mother at the end of the class. I said, this is my mother. And everybody said, oh, Mrs. Gray, are these the ideas that you raised John with? Because uh, he turned out so good, you know? So uh, <laughs> then my mother said, oh no, I would have been so much, I would have been such a better mother if I had taken this class. <laughs> That's my mother, very, very <laughs> humble. And and then they said, well, what did you do? And she said, oh, when when John came along, we uh, we just put him in the hands of God. And what that meant is no more punishment or never. I never experienced punishment as a kid, nor wow. my parents ever afraid that, you know, we often punish our children, worry about them, try to control them. So we don't want them to turn out well. So my mother was very spiritual. And I think it must have been a deal between she didn't want to be punishing the kids. But uh you know dad was the the guy so my brothers picked up on this that i would my, my mother would say, okay go see your father if you don't listen and i'd go up there and he'd pretend he'd say now make noises as i whip the chair <laughs> and but my brothers figured that out they they really got back at me and so there were times when i was uh, Buried underground, screaming. I was uh, thrown into. We used to break up the leaves in the fall and burn them in the front yard. And they throw, they shake. You know, I'm a little kid. I'm like a toy for them. They throw me into the water, into the fire. They did the same thing with the pool. I used to have all these concussions on my head. Oh Uh, my god! You know, I I I went through it. So so that was a stage. And it wasn't all the time. You have to realize, you know, people go, oh my God, what a terrible childhood. I didn't think it was a terrible childhood, but I was very shy, I think, as a result of that. I mean, very shy. And and then I was also an adventurous kid in second grade. I I was climbing a big tall tree. And I don't know how I got up there, but I made a mistake and ended up flying down upside down, hit my head straight on, broke both arms, bones sticking out down, of course. And the doctor said, there's no way I would have lived. He said, there's just you can't <laughs> land straight down because I was swinging on a rope upside down and I just dropped. That rope came uh-huh. undone, and dropped down. And it's, there's a series of events like that. And and I remember my trauma. People said, oh, that must have been so painful. Actually, when you have a big trauma, your body doesn't feel pain at all. My mother said, oh, you're in shock and bones sticking out of my arms and and all I remember when I woke up, I said, mom, we should go to the hospital. And she says, yes, yes, I'm trying. I had a friend over. And oh, she can't just see the friend at the house. So she's got to drop the kid off all the way to the hospital. <laughs> and I'm thinking oh, my- there should be an ambulance, you know, flashing lights <laughs> and whatever. It, it, but it wasn't a big deal. And I got there. And I
0: there Bones enough. are sticking out of your arms. That's a yeah, big yeah.
1: deal. <laughs> it, hadn't pier- it hadn't pierced the skin. So it wasn't a lot of oh, blood. It was just sticking up. pushing my- the skin up. So, you know, I had my So then around 12 years old, my mother said, You have I have something special to show you. And uh I said, What is it? And we got in the car, we drove, we ended up in this big lot, uh, and there's all these men rolling newspapers. And she says, Uh, we're gonna have you're gonna have a paper route. And so we went to the man, he said, No, he's too young to have a paper route. This is uh, too big of a paper I one of the biggest paper routes in Houston at that time at 350 houses wow.
0: uh
1: and it was it was our neighborhood where I lived and uh he said no he's too young so my mother said then I want the paper route <laughs> so she got a paper route. oh my gosh <laughs> we're, we're upper middle class family you know and what's she doing flight doing her own paper route but <laughs> And then i i tried doing it myself on a bicycle and the papers just didn't fit on in, in one or two trips so she ended up driving me on my paper route every day uh for three oh. or four years and for about two years and then i got i earned enough money i was 15 i think it was i bought my own car and drove my paper out and then i then i expanded i was very entrepreneurial i had uh, then i had two paper routes and i had all these kids i'd get pay them coca-cola and peanuts and they would roll the papers for me, and then my brother would drive, and we had two two huge paper routes. and it was all a, a big entrepreneurial thing. And even before that, I think when I was eight years old and nine years old, I had a little printing press at printing cards. It was half card will travel. <laughs> I would print cards for people, and then and then I took wow. karate classes, and in karate classes, I decided I could make money. It's not like I needed money; I just wanted to make money. Uh, yeah. It was fun and have to be entrepreneur. And I, I actually learned how to sew. My mother had a sewing machine and I would sew those little white outfits that you uh, see karate people wearing. And so I, I was selling those at the uh, gym, a place where we oh. would go. So I wow. was very entrepreneurial. That was my my childhood.
0: <laughs> did, did the did the brothers the older brothers did the did the resentment ever wear off did they ever like stop resenting you for not getting the beatings or well, the spankings I or i don't
1: i don't know how much it preoccupied their mind okay i just know that they said <laughs> yeah. things out on me i mean i remember while I'm being on the roof and throwing me off the roof and uh, i think <laughs> There wasn't a lot of, I I didn't even know the word resentment as a kid, so I don't relate to that at all. But I know there yeah. was a jealousy because later in life, uh, I was unfortunately kind of showing off to my family. I, you know, Remy was my business partner back in the 90s. And yeah. uh, we had a jet together, this big, huge, and you've seen the jet, I think. <laughs> it's yeah. 30 people, bedrooms and everything. Because I was traveling around the world when Menna from Mars was really wow. big, all over the, just eh, nonstop. And I wanted to have a my own jet so I could fly to New York, come back and go again, come back, take my kids to school. So I was really committed to the taking the kids to school and all that. And wow. so we were on it. So I it was my birthday. So I flew to Texas in my big jet from California and took the family and all the children, about thirty four thirty six people on the jet it had a living room and all that stuff. And wow. I gave all the kids a thousand dollars and I said, you know, we're going to New Orleans and we spent the day there and we'd fly home. And so that was me showing off. I would never do that again. Okay. I just learned you yeah. should, do that. uh, particularly to your brothers. <laughs> <And> <laughs> they were all, at, at that time we went to, we had a beach house. Uh, and so they're all around and we're talking about my success and how much money I was making and all that and influence my book was having. And, my brother said, "Well, you succeeded because mother loved you more," and I was like, "That was like some kind of cliche, you know." You see, oh my god! You know, I guess what? What are you talking about? They said they all went, "Yes, mother loved you more." I said, <laughs> no, "She didn't." You see, as a kid, you don't have any awareness of these things. So my mother was still alive, and so we oh all let's go ask her. That's not true. And we went and asked her, and 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 uh, she. <laughs> Oh this is the way my mother talks. Oh I've done oh, I've done everything I can to show each of my children I love each of you equally. I love you so much. Yeah. It's just Johnny he makes you love him more. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, oh that's so well, awesome that's
1: what, that's when i woke up with the, my whole childhood made sense at that point i had no idea and i didn't think about my childhood much at that point
0: <laughs> uh, johnny of, wasn't a bully <laughs>
1: <laughs> no he wasn't he was bullied but not so much not Jeez. all the time i te- oh, i kind of no. was a recluse and you know later on i after y- you've asked me to talk about my life i don't normally yeah life. okay so i love it uh so and as a teenager i was you know, at 14, I remember a girl blowing in my ear and I became sexually awakened at that moment. (laughs) I still remember it was amazing. I said, what is this? (laughs) And uh, then, you know, I I just thought it was heaven and eighth grade, we would make out. And I just, I didn't know what sex was. I just knew we'd make out and touch each other's bodies. And it was the greatest thing in the world. I mean, (laughs) I, I think, you know, it was, it was like polyamorous, you know? I think the polyamorous movement is a bunch of adults playing like children. You know, adult health is is commitment. You know, you create a family, you're loyal to your wife, you love, adore her, and you commit to her. All these polyamorous people, they're just dissatisfied in their sex life and they justify it by universal love. But that's that's just, uh, to me, just central, central, eating a lot of ice cream, basically. But eighth grade, it was appropriate, you know? We weren't making babies. So we, it was heaven. You know, I thought I found the secret and everything and it was wonderful. And and then, then came LSD and peyote and those things and, and uh, mushrooms. That was fantastic for a short, brief (laughs) period of time. Uh, Right. Right. uh, For the three or four days of of Woodstock, I was totally high. And, you know, I was a teenager doing that whole sixties thing, I was a hippie. And then when I came back, I was just so down, I crashed so much. I was up so much, crashed way down. And around that time, the Beatles were very popular and said that they just come, they just come back from India. And they said that they'd learn how to meditate with the Maharishi of the Transcendental Meditation Movement. And my mother happened to say, oh, you know, he's amazing. So kind of like my mother had a stamp of approval and the Beatles said, you could get high without drugs, uh, with meditation, and you don't crash down. So I said, this is for me. And I was 18 at the time. Or And um, wow. immediately got on a plane and went to Maine, uh, the East Coast, the state of Maine, where Marishi had yeah. just come from India to America. And I, I flew to New York, and then I hitchhiked to Maine. And Took the course. It was already sold out with two thousand people, and I said, "I'm going oh, wow. anyway." And I got in, and I was too young. They said, and uh, then the next course was on the West Coast, and they said, "No, it's sold out. You can't go." And I got on a plane, and flew into San Francisco, hitchhiked up the up the coast to uh, join the course, and because I didn't have a ticket to get in, I, I was not that tall, you might so the Marshy would come in the back door and I would just, he had a big entourage of his people. You know, these are rich yeah. people who could support themselves and travel with him. And they were his people. And, you know, they like royalty, you know, I'm the nobody, but what I would do is I was, I slip in behind him. Like I was his assistant every day to get in. And, and cause I didn't have a ticket. I just went in with the boss.
0: <laughs> and wow. I was,
1: It's a fun story. I think about, I'd, yeah. i would, I'll say that. And oh, wow! People would sometimes say, "Well, who are you?" I said, "I'm the assistant."
0: <laughs> you know, That's so. a page out of ramy's playbook, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He's, um, we're very we're yeah. we're kin, uh, a certain way. So yeah. the uh, that went on for nine years. I just uh, w- he sent me back to school, and I went back to the University of Texas. I got credit for going back to be with him, doing Eastern studies, Eastern philosophy, wow. <laughs> and. Did some of the basics, did learn distance learning. And finally, I, you know, after a couple of years, I went to every course he ever taught in the West. And nobody had done that. And I was just stuck on this guy. I just wanted to be like him. Uh, I think that we all learn a lot from mentors. So that was the stage of my life where I found somebody who I was drawn to. And, you know, part of the whole thing for me was that because I stayed with him for nine years until I, I could master everything he said or did. I taught his teacher training program to teach, teach teachers. I was his best meditator. They took pictures of me on the my brain scans and everything. Uh, I was really a good student really dedicated. And even to become his assistant was a big deal because I wasn't rich like all the other people around him. And uh, I wanted to be his assistant and just be right next to him, learn how to be him. And this is after about two or two and a half, three years of taking his classes. And he had these two assistants and one of them got fired. I don't know why. The other one's parent was sick. So he didn't have an assistant. And the way he operated, he rent out these big hotels, there'd be these thousands of people taking these meditation courses and and he had a hallway and a bunch of chairs outside a suite in different hotels where he would stay. And he had a buzzer. So the assistant would come into the room and when he would call, and you know, assistant would say, "Who's out there?" He would give him duties to do and organize everything around him. He's just was sitting on a couch all day, uh, interviewing people, planning things, doing his deal. So I, I said, "Oh, maybe I can give you the assistant and and fill in." Well, there were nine other guys who were called the 108. They were the fancy people, and the and they were much older than me. They were six. They had money. We'll put it that way. And they're all lined up and they're taking turns. There's like nine of them going in when he pushes the buzzer. One of them would go in and waiting to see who he would pick. And I'm sitting there. I decide I'd sit there and they say, well, who are you? And I said, I'm John (laughs) Gray. And they say, well, you can't be here. You should go. So, you know, I'm a young guy at that time and they're much older and they're all the in club sort of a thing. So I went off and I was so depressed. I just thought, oh, it was awful. I've been kicked out. I wasn't going to be the assistant. I so much wanted to do it. I felt it was my journey. I had to do it. And really a lot of emotional turmoil, but I couldn't sleep. And But I woke up the next morning really early. So I just without thinking, I said, well, I'll just go up there. Maybe they won't be there. And so I was up there sitting outside Maharishi's door. And you know, when, you, when you, you're in the Maharishi and all these people want to meet you and everything, you're in his room. He sits on a couch and talks to people and then he wants to be alone he'll say go and rest you know that was his phrase go and rest and so <laughs> the first one of these 108s came over and sat came in to see me sitting there and he says well who are you and i said i'm the new assistant <laughs> and i said i'm the new assistant and maharishi says go and rest and I wasn't really lying because I was just saying. she says go and rest because he always says it. So then that guy goes, "Oh bummer, I don't get the job." <laughs> Another guy came up. He said, "Who are you?" So this went on nine times, and oh my I just god, kept off the floor until she had kept asking me to do stuff, and I, everybody now thought I was the assistant, and and um, and then wow. we went on. A, right around that time, he decided he was going to go on a, a. They had planned in America a world tour. We were in Europe. And I only had $125 (laughs) $125 to my name at that time. And things were cheaper then, right? But I was just going a little tiny budget. And uh, he said, we're going on this tour. And all the famous people and everybody around him said, oh, we'd like to go too. And he'd say, best to stay, best to stay, best to stay. But I'm his assistant, so I bought his airplane ticket. I listened to him saying that to everybody. And I know if I had said, uh, can I come with you on this trip? He'd say best to stay. He just didn't want to have everybody traveling with him. It's a hassle. So I didn't ask him. I just bought a ticket. <laughs> I bought his ticket and I bought my ticket. Oh my and he was, he's sitting in his chair and I'm sitting right next to him. He was like completely, you know, I, he was, you know, uh, he knew what I was doing. I think he admired my spot. you know, he figured it out. And, and, and That's awesome. And then. We got to Chicago and uh, I remember being in the hotel, having his suite. I had no money for a hotel. That ticket, I spent all my money on that ticket. thinking, OK, we'll see what's going to happen. Uh, and it was it was a hundred maybe a hundred dollar ticket called Travel America for Europeans who could then wow. fly. So you went in a loop. And so the loop was his complete tour. You know, it was New York and then went to Chicago yeah. went on around to L.A. and coming back to other cities. So I had the ticket. So that was all, and no money for food. And, but I, you know, we, his organizer in America would pay for the suite. So I just didn't tell anybody. And Margie had his suite and the bathroom to the suite. I just put my luggage in there and I slept in the other room. And, and I was traveling oh, with protein powder, you know, these protein powder pet containers and, uh, it had burst on a plane all over my suitcase. So I was cleaning it out and Marshy Mar- Mar- came into the waiting room and saw that he didn't say anything. He just smiled and walked back into his bedroom. <laughs> so he figured oh it out. And, uh, he just said, this kid is like amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, what willpower, you know? So by the, by the wow. time the next city came along or after a couple of cities, it was Chicago at this point. And the other, the other assistant came back and he was like, uh, turned out he was a little bit on the spectrum so he was a little offish to everybody i thought he th- i took it personally as a kid but uh he uh he took over i went the keys to the room and and i'm the assistant not you and i kind of said okay here's the keys and then the <laughs> Maharishi told him to go find me and then the marishi met with both of us and said i want you to have uh he said to me you're the new assistant and i remember that moment it was like oh yeah, rabbit.
0: I'm real, <laughs> you know, I'm real. <laughs> it You're was like Steve like, Martin I'm and the jerk. the jerk. I'm somebody, <laughs> I'm somebody, you know,
1: it's me. I mean, the way I looked at it is that wonderful book called The Velveteen Rabbit, and the little yeah. boy the rabbit, and they want to throw <laughs> it away. And he said No, he's real. The little <laughs> rabbit lights up, goes, I'm real. You know, that's how I felt. I, I I am real, and it oh was so sweet. God. And I was so dedicated, you know, I was like, put every, put him first, put the job first, put God first, you know, just know, know me. And, yeah. and I'm sitting there and I still, I can still remember this moment where I'm, he's, he's talking to us. He says, okay, so you're, you're, you're now the new assistant. He said to me, and uh, I want you both to have shifts. One of you will have the morning shift and one will have the evening shift because he worked a lot out. He worked worked all the time. He's constantly being there for everybody, he had no personal life, except this was his personal life. Hundreds yeah. of people seeing him all the time and. So I remember in that moment, I thought, oh, I could have a luxurious life and sleep <laughs> late, and meditate and go on the second shift. But no, I want to <laughs> be strong, so. The other guy paused and and didn't say anything, and I said, uh, "Well, uh, I'll take the morning shift." And the other the other guys kind of smiled, like he's gonna have his morning meditations, because we like that, you know. That was our yeah. yeah. to be able to meditate in the morning. And and so I took that job, and he had the afternoon job. So his duty started at five o'clock. I started early in the morning with the Maharishi. And what I didn't know at the moment, that's probably the best decision I ever made at that time in my life, because the morning is when Maharishi would sit there with me, and we'd plan out the day. And so I would be in charge of everything around this guy, and this young eighteen-year-old guy, and maybe now I'm twenty-one around that time, and and wow. plan out the day with him. And so when five o'clock came along, I gave the instructions to the other guy. So I was now his boss in a sense. Amazing, you know, I'm this twenty-one-year-old. All these people are older than me. And I'm running the whole show around marishi and famous people were coming to see him, and famous scientists, and all these people. And they had to talk to me to get in to see him. So, really- <laughs>
0: and they were all like, "Who are you?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, finally, now I was the assistant. The way everybody right. knew I was assistant is when he would. Uh, it was sort of an Indian tradition. He was an Indian guru, and he he sat on a deer skin wherever he would go. He wore silk robes, and and yeah, the deer skin. And you go to these big halls where there'd be a thousand people and he coming, he's coming in. I go ahead of him to put the deer skin down. So as soon as I come into the room, thousand people will stand up, put their hands like this, and I'm putting the deer skin down. It was a wow. you know, I'm just a kid, but it was like everybody's, he's so lucky. Who is he? He's amazing. Right. It was special. So again.
0: <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> so that,
1: was a, John. that was a fun journey for me. And but there were moments uh, that wasn't so fun. I, I remember before I got to that point, I was trying to get in there and he said, no, you should go back to school. And I just felt like, no, this was my destiny. See, it was my destiny and I just I crashed. I remember that day so clearly, I cried and cried and cried and, and felt hopeless. And and then, uh, and so I went back to school, he wanted me to go back to UT and I, I figured out how to get credit for being with him. And uh, they wouldn't give me credit unless I was unless I had already done the the, the first two years. But I got a I had been to St. Thomas, another university for a little while. And so I said, Oh, my records are coming from St. Thomas here. They're just not here yet. And I was a junior. <laughs> so oh my God. anyway. So wow. I did that. And you know, life yeah. went on. Uh, so I, I went back to him because this is that's how then I got to be his assistant. And uh Spent years with him, uh, helped develop his teacher training program with a couple of other people. I didn't it all by myself, but two other people and then taught his teacher training programs sometimes just to test it out, traveled with him. It was an amazing life. what I, I have to say, I, I can't t- talk about myself without a lesson. Teaching some. I, I, I was
0: going to-, to say there's a huge lesson in here somewhere. Well, right? there, and I know, one I is, think I know you it to is break
1: through walls. Okay, you have to get yeah. you get hopeless, you get despair. I'm mean, going to get through that. You dedicate yourself.
0: But hey, Ramey's Ray, watching with us, by the way. Oh, oh Ramy's there.
1: Ramey Abutroy has a new book, and it's uh, uh, you can grow and grow rich.
0: There it yeah. is.
1: <laughs> can you really grow and think and grow rich. Uh, he always yeah. say, he corrects me. I think it's you can, but can you really grow, think and grow rich? Think and grow rich is one of the again one of the early books that I read uh yeah. to think big. I remember when I first uh, was in college, it was like think big. I, I just remember myself saying that I came from that book. And you know, often people say, "What are your first books you read?" And the first book I read was uh George Washington Carver, a black man who found out creatively, figured out how to use peanuts. That uh, was an yeah. amazing story. And then I read Yogananda and I read Think and Grow Rich. Those are my, wow. <laughs> so I have this uh, entrepreneurial side, this black person. Uh, yeah. I was, a, a you know, part of my spiritual journey is having, at some point, I had a whole series of past lives I remembered. And uh, one of them was a black person during the Civil War. I was a black person there. And again, I uh, so I guess I'm drawn to those people as well. I know in my own career, becoming Oprah's personal coach uh, was a big help to me. You know, I was on 18 shows with Oprah and, you know, that little book over my right shoulder, I see there is Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I remember the day where she held that book up after she read it. And uh, I'd been on her show when the first book came out and I was on the last two minutes of the show. <laughs> so it did nothing for sales and my publishers canceled me. They said, it's it. You got an Oprah show, nobody the book sales didn't increase at all. So they
0: canceled you?
1: They canceled the publicist. They canceled the publicist. Oh so I my no God. Publicist. But uh anyway, I oh, eventually God. got back on that show and, and uh she was she was very very helpful. So anyway I was kind of like talking about my rishi times and sort of a lineage of my life is uh, I was gonna say the lesson I learned but I forgot it now we got off the track. But there, <laughs> Sorry. I, I feel like i waste time talking about me unless i have a lesson there but uh it was persistence and
0: well you here's, inserted here's, yourself here's,
1: let, me, let me try to remember it because i don't normally yeah. do this yeah uh and that is everybody projects onto a guru okay the idea and the guru concept the whole concept of a freudian therapist is like indian guru where the therapist sits there and they don't tell you anything about themselves they have a you're not allowed to know anything about them. That way, you project on them whatever you want to project on them. And if you, that, you know, Freud would say, be analyzing somebody, and, and the person would say, "Well, what do you think?" And Freud would say, "Well, what do you think I think?" Okay. So it was never revealing anything about himself. That's that. That allows the the client to project onto the onto the therapist, and and then you kind of feel what they're projecting onto you. You kind of know what their childhood issues are. So there's a dynamic there. It has some some intelligence to it. And that's the idea of the guru. The guru doesn't ever tell you anything about their lives. Everybody imagines and they teach ideas like you're always happy and you're enlightened and you're all this. Everybody thinks the guy they see on stage who's got a great sense of humor, a lot of wisdom from another culture. So you never heard these things. So it's also very interesting and, and very inspiring. This guy must be this way all the time. Well, when you're his personal assistant, you see that he's not, you know, he had his own troubles. He had his own issues. He, he'd get mad at people. He imagined people were spying on him and whatever. And, and one, I remember one time it was like one of my childhood friends, he said, this is a CIA uh, spy. Uh, no, no, he's not. He's my childhood friend, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And then Marsha said, well, follow him. You'll see, you know? And uh, so what, what I saw is that the more conscious people are, actually, the more attention they get from the world, uh, it makes you more aware of yourself. You know, if you were just standing in a room, you'd think normal, but if suddenly you're in front of a thousand people and you happen to undress, you'll be very embarrassed, right? You'll have a lot of energy coming at you. You have a greater right. sense of self awareness. So, and he did a lot of good practice. He was a great person, in my opinion. But what I see happens is when you have a lot of attention on you, uh, it's like a magnifying glass and all your good qualities become better and all of your not good qualities become bigger. And yeah. so he had his own challenges and I got to see them and still see him as a great man. So I got this really wonderful message from that, which other people don't get because the, because he didn't reveal his personal life. You just see this person on stage. And so many people see these famous people on stage. And then you meet them and you stop projecting them. You stop putting them so far up. Uh, and and so a lot of people, they just need to meet the people they admire so they can realize that why I see the good in them, that's also inside of me. And that's mm. the gift I God, which is I got to be close to him for years to see that he was a wonderful person, but also had many problems. And, and so my vision of enlightenment, the place I wanted to be was uh, that, you're happy, you're fulfilled a bit more than most people. You're a bit more detached from everything. Things don't affect you as much, but you, you're you able to get quickly let it go, quickly let it go instead of get stuck in it. And, and that to me is a real blessing As things bother me quickly. I can let it go and move on quickly. I can let it go on. But what he really had, which is an endless source of creativity and and joyfulness and so forth, which I got through meditation as well, yeah. And so that's a stage, kind of a stage of enlightenment. Uh, but I didn't hold the guru as higher than me at that point. It was about nine years. And I really got to the place where what was inside of him that I was drawn to find was inside of me. And I think this is an important lesson for everybody, if, you know, particularly in people in their 20s or any time in life. But particularly in the 20s is you're trying to find your greatness inside. So be drawn to books, teachers, people try to get as close to them as you can even if it's just reading their books and whatever so you you're inspired by that because a part of you says i can be that i can do that i can learn from that and in a sense uh you might say that in education you have this bachelor's degree which kind of get the basic ideas and then the master's degree is where you can master what somebody has done out there see there's experts in all these fields and you pick one particular field that you're drawn to and you master what other people have done. So you become an expert on what other people have learned. At that point, you have your PhD program. And that's where you, from the place of having mastered somebody else, you're in touch with your own inner true self, the master within you. Now you can create something new. And that's a PhD program, is some sort of independent study. And that was when I felt it was suddenly all my attraction to him was gone it was like i fulfilled my purpose i got to know this guy hung out with this guy journeyed with this guy and you know we talk about ramey being a billionaire well when he was a young man he did anything i mean he has this whole story too of doing anything to get to it's in his book it's an amazing story it's
0: it's it, incredible
1: and to be close with and work side by side with khashoggi who was at yeah. that time the richest man in the world which he was multi-multi-billionaire And uh, so then Ramey has done this. And when I talk about Ramey, I just say it, you know, back in the 90s, I was already been number one bestseller in the country. I was best number one bestseller on New York Times list for four and a half years, maybe five and a half years. Can't remember the details on it because Wikipedia has it wrong. But I used to have a chart showing it, the last one. But the. uh, but at number one and number two all the time. and number two would be Mars Venus in the Bedroom, or it would be how to get few, right. you know all my other books was sort of a few weeks up there, but it just stayed there. It just stayed there consistently, which was uh, amazing, amazing experience. And people said that must have been so amazing. I'll tell you what was amazing was when I first got on the list, that's that that was the moment. It was again, it was that I'm real. okay. I knew I was going to be <laughs> a selling author. I knew it, I knew it, and it took a year. Before I went on that list, it was a year. And the whole journey of that year was the excitement of uh, getting on the Oprah show and my first tour with the company and only having the last couple of minutes and nothing happening to book sales. But she kind of remembered me and I kept writing to her after that to get on the show. And they kept saying, you're not ready. And they were right. I wasn't ready. It was about three years before I got on that show again. And, and my book had already been, uh, a, a number one bestseller for two years so maybe one year I forget it number one for a whole year and I wrote to her and I said look you got to have me on your show I'm the biggest selling author in the country and you're not letting me on your book show you know she was all about promoting yeah. books Went on and she looked at the book and uh, then 18 shows later and I think it was about three shows with her she finally read the book and then she held that book up and she said look I promote all these books you know that but if you get one book this is the book you should get it was like such an amazing <laughs> commercial. And and her her producers of uh, the management there basically said, You can't air that one because it's too much <laughs> They literally it did air in Seattle for some reason, but it didn't air anywhere else because I was waiting for really? it. Really didn't happen. They said it was just a conflict of interest to, to be that much owning. They were jealous of me. Okay, that Wow. I've been jealousy my whole life. And never ever during that whole time when I was the number one bestseller that I have a, what's called a love letter interview and print re-interview. Most of them were hit pieces. Yeah. Hit pieces where they just say bad things about you. Uh, uh, Then there's a pissing match. And there were a couple of pissing matches where they'll say what I say, and then they'll find some expert. Doesn't even matter who he is. (laughs) Find some expert to give their point of view how I'm not good. That's called a pissing match. But there's a hit piece. Hit piece is every single Almost every print interview I ever received during that time and, and since, okay, has been a hit piece on John Gray. Because, uh, oh see, I God. was not, it was not about me, so to speak. Even the New York Times, when they finally, after eight, five years being on the list, they did an article on me. Another uh, pissing match, that one. And it, it didn't even show my whole face. It just says, who is John Gray? It only showed half my face. <laughs> I, oh, I, my I, God. This what? This was in reaction to, they finally did it because I, I was, uh, I don't know, I, I did Carnegie Hall and it, it was either that tour or I did, which is a big deal in New York, or I yeah. did the Gershwin Theater a whole week in uh, Broadway. I had a Broadway show for a week. Jeez. And uh, I, I just got it on the off time, it happens to be the biggest theater in Broadway and I sold it out every night with standing ovations and everything and uh, again it was at that point and so they did one sort of weird interview and then the then they did another one the same week and did a hit piece on my show because they were re- they're, they're really unhappy about my show because i had no props it was just me <laughs> nobody's ever yeah. done a Broadway show that i know of and, and it was sold out the best grossing show of all time
0: <laughs> wow was, uh, you know i i i happened to take a peek um yesterday i looked at your um the ted talk I found your TED talk on um, YouTube and the unbelievable TED talk, by the way, it was so fantastic. And everybody watching after this show, you should go look it up and watch it. It's amazing. But there was one I looked at the comments down below and somebody and I thought it was appropriate, too, because somebody said, I can't tell if this guy is a a professional comedian or a real relationship expert, but either way, he's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, because you are, you're funnier than hell. And, you know, all this stuff about relationships. And I want to ask you, if I may. Um gosh, I, this is, I could talk to you literally all day. Um, but like in, in your opinion and all of your experiences and you've had some amazing experiences, what is the most common thing that, that, that causes relationship issues between a husband and wife?
1: Oh good. I get to teach a little bit. I like that. (laughs) Okay. So what's interesting? That is the number one question I answered for for years, and that that became the foundation of, of Men are from Mars. It, it's just yeah. simply what what are the biggest complaints people have about each other, and so and that's how I developed these ideas. People say, "Well, how do you come up with all this stuff?" Because I sat there for eight years before I wrote that book, eight or nine, and, and and listened to women complain about the same guy. It was like they were all married to the same man, and. Yeah. It could have been my wife talking about me. And I'm like, they're misunderstanding us completely. And we men, by listening to these women for eight years who had complaints about men, that men did not have about women. See, that's why we were so different. Men don't understand. Women don't understand each other. Uh, If you had a woman who was wanting to divorce her husband, she'd say almost the same thing and maybe a few different words. But she'd say, I give and I give and I give and I don't give back. I have nothing left to give. She'd burn out giving and not getting back. Well, if you look at what men will say is they don't say that. They say, no matter what I do, it's never enough for her to be happy. Men just want women to be happy. Women didn't say anything about he's not happy. <laughs> she said she's not happy. You know, <laughs> we're so different. This is she's I give and I give and I give. I don't get anything back. And I understand I'm not judging her in any way. I get it. Men don't know how to give women what they need. And because they, they're thinking, men, uh, you know, a woman's talking about her feelings. This is a woman's biggest complaint. He doesn't listen, and a man will say, "What do you mean I don't listen? I just heard what you said," <laughs> but he doesn't listen in the way she needs to be heard. Right. Tip: Here's a little tip, men. One tip to walk away: when a woman's talking, don't talk. Stop talking, <laughs> otherwise you'll have arguments and fights. And she'll ask you questions, and what you do is you ask a question back. You're Freud. She says, "What do you?" think? And you say, "What are you thinking?" <laughs> so well, you do it a little more gracefully. You say, "Help me understand." Well, if- I'm still thinking about what you said, but help me understand your point of view better. And then she talks a little bit more, and you say, "Well, tell me more." And you say, "Tell me what else?" Now that that's a basic Mars-Venus concept is stop interrupting her with solutions. If she's upset, don't interrupt with solutions. My wife would come home from her job and she start complaining about something happened there and. And I said, oh, honey, you don't, if you don't like that job, just quit it. Do something else. She said, John, I just need to talk about it. I love my job. And for me as a man, well, if you love your job, why are you complaining about it? But see, for women, they have a need to talk about things. And when I say that, a lot of women, red men are from Mars. And they say, well, she feels like she is from Mars. She doesn't have a need to talk. And I say, well, she's disconnected from herself. And that's a harsh statement. These women didn't like to hear that. Feminists don't like to hear that. But why are you unhappy? These are unhappy women. And they always just blame men for their unhappiness when they have to find their happiness and a man will automatically give more to her. But it's like going to a job and you don't get paid. You'll just get lazy and not want to go. Men need to feel, I'm, I'm, I have a mission. I'm fulfilling it and I'm providing for her. I need to feel that love. I need to feel that appreciation. I, feel, I need to feel acceptance. We hunger for that. And women today... Not all women, but the women who are way on their male side, they're working all the time to make money. It's a joke, you know. They want respect, and the way they get respect is by being like men. Wait, no, mm-hmm. be a woman and get respect. How do you do that? I teach you how to do that. But wow. I, from an empathetic point of view, many women who are sold the Bill of Rights to become like a man to be lovable. I have to be like a man to be lovable instead of learning how to be a woman and be lovable. So to be a man and be lovable, uh I don't know how much time I have to go. I realized I just opened up a hornet's nest there uh, because we're today buying a woman. And see, the point of view is it used to be that a man can make a living and support his family and she didn't have to work. See, the difference between I have to work to make money and I have a part-time job and my work is I love what I do. And now I wrote a book, Beyond Mars and Venus. I'll show that one here for people.
0: Let me give you full
1: screen. Yeah. Beyond Mars and Venus, relationship skills for today's complex world. How to bring women, a relationship where a woman's busy working. See, when she's busy working outside the home, making money, she's making male hormones. And many of these women, back in the time when I wrote Men Are From Mars, said, I feel like I'm from Mars and my husband's from Venus. So they didn't relate to my book. And then they felt like my book was telling them they were wrong. I'm not saying they're wrong. And even in the beginning of the book, I said, look, this is not everybody but i wasn't the world wasn't ready to hear what go, what are the challenges when a couples in role reversal where she's more from mars at that point there were so many people already in traditional relationships i wrote that book primarily for them where the woman is just misunderstanding the man you ask what are the biggest complaint best, biggest complaints men don't listen to women they need that but many women said, I'm too busy to want to talk. I don't want to talk. Why well, do I don't want to talk about my day? Who are these women that want to do that? I said, OK, <laughs> this book's not for you. But actually, this new book is those women who don't feel I need to talk about what's going on are disconnected from their uh, their female hormones. And what I pointed out in my new book for everybody, it's amazing, is to understand that Men have a dominance of male hormones, like 10 to 20 times more testosterone. Otherwise they're depressed or they're angry. Women on the other hand are unhappy, unable to be satisfied. They're always finding problems. If their estrogen levels and other female hormones are out of balance are too low. So I wrote a book to help women understand their hormone system. Nobody understands wow. it. it's the first book ever rather than women having to take hormones, which is so common today and suffer all these hormonal problems you have to learn what what behaviors and attitudes and activities and challenges that you have to overcome as a human being will produce estrogen versus will produce Mars hormones, okay? So I'm looking at the title of the show, Breakthrough Walls. We come into this world with challenges to to learn who we are. You know, the most spiritual message ever is know thyself. And if you're a man, know thyself as a man. And women, you have to know yourself as a woman. This is your body. This is reality. You can't just decide I'm going to be a a walrus. You know, (laughs) you are what you are. And so knowing yourself, but it's hard to know yourself. Okay. See, as a man, I remember a little boy watching my dad shave. I thought, how will I ever do that? I can't do that. Well, then he eventually taught me. And then as yeah. a teenager, I'm going to have to make money to support a family. Eeks, that's a lot of hard work. How can I do that? And then I had someone show me how to do that. And I could do that. So many boys today don't have fathers to show them their way. They don't have mentors to show them their way. So because see, to produce testosterone, you have to experience overcoming challenges to succeed. You have to feel successful in being making a difference having emissions sharing with other people that's overcoming challenges builds testosterone you go to a gym you don't pick up light weights you pick up heavier weights not too much but enough to push your boundaries that makes testosterone and boys need men need 10 to 20 times more testosterone than women otherwise we have all the terror we have addictions as a result of that we have uh, depression, yeah. we have anxiety, we have violence, anger, all of that is when men's testosterone levels are low and their female hormones are high. What is what stimulates female hormones? One of the things is when you when you basically say you wake up in the morning, you say, Oh, I'm not, I don't have me anything I have to do. I'll just do what I like. Do what you like. That was sort of the whole hippie thing. Do what you like, do what you love.
0: <laughs> right. Fun,
1: free sex. You don't have to earn your sex. You don't have to do anything responsible. You have to commit yourself to a woman. Free sex. Do what you like. Oh, LSD and drugs. Do what you like. Do what you like. It was just don't go to the war. Don't we demonstrated for peace and whatever. And there's some good in all of that, but it was too much. You go too far to your female side. Then you become weak as a man. So think about as a man. What's easier for me to do what I have to do to make money and learn and all that stuff or do what I like? It's easier to do what you like. Do what you like and estrogen levels go up. Now, women have problems producing what they like. They feel like I have to get out there and become men. (laughs) I have to do this. Anytime you have to do something to make money, you're making testosterone. Anytime you have to overcome a challenge of, of what men have done for centuries. People talk about how men are not great. Look at the greatness of men. Men throughout time have done the dirty jobs, the difficult jobs, the dangerous jobs and without complaint, you know, you got women today talking about bad, the patriarchy is and all that. We're we're the guys that changed the world. Now granted, every form of government has been corrupt. That's the world we came from. And every generation, it gets better and better. But, and then we got these guys that created the constitution, the foundation of freedom, which is an experiment on this planet. See people take for granted how, how free they are to just complain about this country, it's nonsense. And it's a bunch of people on males on their female side whining about it and women on their male side, judging masculinity. Because if you're not on your female wow. side, you can't love men. Women love men. That's the femininity. Men love women. That's who we are. We're biological complements. We grow by finding love together. So back to your question. Uh, wow. Nice. Women on the other hand, didn't understand that men are these testosterone guys. And when you, when you work hard, you have to rebuild your testosterone before you can sort of enter into the palace and make love to your wife and bam, take care of your family and all that. Your estrogen levels go up at that point. But if you have high estrogen, it pushes your testosterone down. So one of the ideas of Men Are From Mars that women love back then, and they still do when they care about men, and that is men in the cave, man cave. That all started with Men Are From Mars. Every man has a man cave. Stay out, women. This is what we do as guys to rebuild our testosterone. And it's, it's right. activity to rebuild testosterone. Not saying all activities in the cave are good for the relationship or good for him, but he has this need to pull away from intimacy to rebuild his testosterone. And then he can join his family with intimacy. So that was a big complaint women had, which is why is he ignoring me when he comes home from work? And I said, that's the cave. Men have the cave. On Mars, we all have caves. Okay. You just need to go there to forget the problems of the day. Now, Ironically, that's yeah. the big mistake we men make with women is women will be upset about something. We say to them, just forget it. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's an overreaction. Oh, you can't say that. I guess my friends, one day I was in my men's group and I was upset with one of the guys. And everybody looked at me and they started laughing at me and said, oh, John Gray, you're overreacting. And immediately, I went, you're right, I'm overreacting. You see, everything when we're really upset with somebody we love, we're overreacting. We we don't see ourselves. And the more we're out of balance, we can't see ourselves. And that's the ultimate truth, which is know thyself, who you are. You're a loving person. You're a selfless person. You're a giving person. You're a forgiving person. And you're a man if you're a man and you have a female side. See, as maturity goes My estrogen levels are are higher than most women. That's the loving part of us when you have estrogen. But my testosterone levels are 50% higher than when I was a young man. As you grow older, men are supposed to know thyself better, grow, break through the walls in your life, overcome the challenges. Your testosterone goes higher and higher and higher. Then your estrogen level can follow. And then you have something called wisdom, which is as you get older, you're wiser. You have a male side and you have a female side. You have the enlightenment of knowing thyself. And we're wonderful human beings, but it's a gradual process. Boys should first know themselves as boys. And I just have to say this once again, since I'm talking about that. You can't even know your sexual identity. This is a big deal today, your identification. Okay, you can't even know it as a male until your testosterone levels increase. That makes your masculine energy. Boys, when they're when they're hit puberty, when that girl blew in my ear at 14 years old, that was now I'm a man. Okay, I'm a male. Okay. And she's a girl. There was suddenly a difference. And you look biologically, See, I think it's so funny. They talk about, you can't understand men and women unless you have the biology, unless you have a biologist. Well, here's a book on biology of men and women beyond <laughs> Mars and Venus. We're so strikingly different. It just breaks down all of the, 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 the nonsense they're teaching in universities that this is just some social engineering that made us males and females. Social engineering was the wisdom of thousands of years that got us to this amazing country of freedom. Social engineering that said, Men need to, men thrive when we're giving them challenges, when they have to actually break through walls, okay? When they have to go out and do the dirty, dangerous stuff so women can learn how to love and create a family and then love those men because you depend on those men and you love those men. That's your female side is whenever you're touching, depending on and needing someone that's feminine. And whenever you're selfless and you're willing to do whatever's required for the job, you do it. And that's your masculine side. Now we're at a place where... We have easy access because there's so much freedom, America, the freedom to be whatever you want to be. So men can go over to do what you like and women can do what you know, do what they have to do to be free, feel powerful. Male power is look what I can do. Female power is look where I can get other people to do for me. <laughs> I don't have to do it all. Every unhappy woman says I have to do it all. No, if you have female yeah. power, you don't have to do it all. You, can, you can get a man to do it for you. <laughs> you <got the> power <laughs> to do, you're just losing your power. It's crazy, yeah. i confused. The whole world is turned upside down now, but we'll forget it back up, right? So anyway, back to the, well, let me just say one thing, puberty. Yeah. Boy, at puberty, his testosterone levels increase 10 times. That's how you know you're a male. You can't know that as a child. You can't even get close to knowing that. This is all complete nonsense. People's fantasies, It's it's, it's neurosis. And girls, when they start having their period, that's when they start to feel feminine oh, there's so much I can say about sexual confusion today and it's not healthy, I'll just put it like that. And it's child yeah. abuse, even talk about sexual identity before Ugh. a child. Uh, actually, no, until, that- until you're 28 years old, you don't have the brain power to even know who you are, just to know that. we have The mm-hmm. science tells us the prefrontal cortex, which is the ability to self-reflect and know thyself, the potential to know yourself. You don't have the potential to fully know yourself, not that anybody, not everybody wow. gets there. Until the prefrontal cortex develops, it takes 28 years for it to develop. We know this scientifically. A teenager can't know that. They need guidance. They need role models. They just got hormones of attraction, whatever. And then you have to guide them. You know, if if you do, what's happening today is boys are doing all this pornography. Hmm. The outcome of that is lower and lower testosterone. It's 20% lower than it was 20 years ago. Everybody's wow. testosterone's are going down today, and there's other reasons that contribute to that. But the major one for boys is pornography, uh, and wow. AD in ADD that it stimulates. As long as all those computer games overstimulation of the brain changes the brain. I wrote a whole book on that, which is funny. You know that that TED talk I was playing to talk about the book on ADD, <laughs> and, I, and I saw a thousand, I saw a thousand couples in front of me, and so I said. I'm skipping a minute from Mars. I don't care. What it was awesome. Talking. It was very funny. It was very funny. And you can see. You the said,
0: I think you said, ironically, I was going to talk about ADD or
1: something. <laughs> Everybody laughs laughed oh. because it's like, it's like ADD is not able to hold, hold, hold focus. So I couldn't even focus yeah. on that book. But it's because this is my audience. These are people who care about love and family and relationships. Yeah. They just eat up men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And then you got another TED Talk, which is not so popular. It's me wearing a, it's the other one where I'm not wearing a red shirt. And now you can see what a talk from me is like when I've got an audience of of queer people. This was San Francisco. You know, a lot of people with all these alternative views. And I'm just trying to give the basics. And they're like not buying it at all. Because anything, anything, not the narrative, which is family life and so forth, they're not interested in that at all. And 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 this is the narrative today. People should know it's the this is the universities denormalize heterosexual marriage and family. They want to break down the family. It's this family unit that has been has built the whole world. Yeah. And, and at least in the free world. And we're trying, they're trying to break it down just like they're doing our economy and all those different things. It's yeah. the family unit. It's the most important thing. It's love on this planet. It's all you need is love. It's the whole key thing. But can people handle it? because people can't handle freedom. Freedom is very tough to handle. Once you're free, if you're a male, it's free. You can just go over your female side. For a woman, if you're free, just go over and just lose your femininity. Lose the joy in your life. Lose the happiness by saying, I don't need a man. And I have to compassionately say, women are growing up in a society that promotes that. Therefore, they don't know what they need. You know, We had the whole COVID thing. All you needed to know is that you need vitamin D. Nobody went to the hospital with healthy vitamin D levels. All you do is test your vitamin D to see if you're vulnerable to dying from COVID or getting sick from COVID. It's a terrible sickness, a horrible thing. But we know you're either obese or you have low vitamin D. And in most of the people, you're 80 years old and above. So there was no scare. This is our society. We make a big deal out of nothing we're fear-mongering all the time and there's people that promote that these are these are people you don't understand people can't believe that people have ill will towards you this is one out of say a hundred people are psychopaths Uh, one out of a hundred no one out of a thousand one out of a hundred they say are are social paths now some books say even one out of ten people are social paths and one out of a thousand are psychopaths psychopaths are people that actually are happy hurting people. They wanna be centralized. They want central, authoritarian control. They wanna hurt you, yep. they wanna control you. And you're ants to them, they have no heart. We have to counteract that, we have to wake up. And I understand it now. I thought everybody was like me, uh, loving and nice. And that's what you are. Everybody thinks, how could anybody have negative intentions towards us? Well, that's real. And so what we that do- is so real. It's so real it's going on in it's this world. And, it's, it and really I have to say, is. It's your media, Yeah, what I just found out the other day is they were even Fox News was paid hundreds of millions of dollars to never say anything bad about the vaccines, even though we now see they're killing people. And I probably can't say that. Uh,
0: (laughs) I think we I'm pretty because sure was, we just crossed all the social lines.
1: <laughs> okay, but you know, in the year 2000, I was canceled. I was I was on every show in the 90s. Everybody loved me. They loved me. They liked me, and so forth. And then even Oprah canceled me at at 2000. Every single major network on national TV. I've never been allowed on since then, and that's because I became too big. And well, I, you've, I, you've
0: you've the, you've, you've certainly the feminists, the feminists
1: cannot handle talking about men and women are different, talking about traditional values, talking about love, that's not their thing. So so to
0: summarize, you're saying it's not okay really for me to identify as a cat. (laughs)
1: That's right. (laughs) And I'm a dog. (laughs) Although (laughs) I thankfully sometimes tell women men are like dogs and women are like cats. You've got to earn that cat's attention and she's not always going to give it to you. And for men, we're just like, Just feed us, just feed us, be happy to see us, make love to us, ask for help, (laughs) let us feel powerful and strong and we will be powerful and strong like that. You know, we we just need love. Uh, And just like women, they just need love. But we have to understand how we come from different ways of needing love. And once we do that, we can we can be in harmony. Otherwise, there's so much conflict going on. Uh, Between men and women, and actually less conflict because they don't even get close together. Sex lives are dramatically, dramatically dropping. And here I'm at 70 years old, and testosterone levels of a young man having great sex. I mean, sex doesn't have to go away. You just have to understand the communication skills that will stimulate more estrogen in women, more testosterone in men. For men to have an iron penis, they need 50% more testosterone than a woman. And a young man has that. Women need to have. 100%, double the estrogen they have normally in order to be orgasmic. Well, how do you create that estrogen for women? I know how to do it. I teach it in this book. Women can do it for themselves, learn how to raise their estrogen without masturbation. Everybody's, they're even teaching our children how to pleasure themselves through masturbation. Masturbation decreases testosterone in men, decreases estrogen in women. It makes you, you're having sex with a robot. What lack of less thing could there be? Less loving thing could there be? Than to waste your life force energy without love. So we have a lot of education to do. It's what keeps me going as a seventy year old. I, I figure I need another fifty years to teach this stuff. We'll see what happens.
0: I, <laughs> I could, I, <clears throat> I could literally. I, I said earlier, I could listen to you all day. I, I got to participate in, in, in what you were doing at Ramey's and the meditations and the, the. I, it was unbelievable, and, and you are amazing john you're absolutely amazing <laughs> I, I, i'm not I'm, that's
1: okay i my expertise i'm amazing a lot of things i don't know i mean there's so much to know in this world but with my sure. expertise i'm the men Are from mars guy there's nobody that knows men and women better than me i've been teaching 50 years learning about men and women right. and how to create love and how to great sex and, and lasting right. passion all those things
0: i can teach people how to do I, I noticed on your website, um, first off, I got to say this real fast. Um, your daughter is on the website with you. She's she's just adorable. I love her happy energy in the pictures. And um, But there's somewhere on there, I saw that you have like a free starter course or something on your yeah, website. Right, right, right on the front page. but People can go
1: there straight by just going to MarsVenus.com forward slash gift. And there's a starter course and it's free and we have a few courses on there for people. Uh, We have a lot of free blogs and so forth, but the uh, one course by me on sex is another course uh, by Lauren called how to get your me time. And that's for women only. It's, you know, it's amazing six week class for women who uh, learn how to be happy without depending on a man. So you can depend on a man to make you happier. Because see, women often feel like I don't need a man. Then when they have a man, then they get all needy and demanding and everything. You have to have a life. Men are just dessert. Think about men to dessert. She teaches women how to do that. And that's the wow. women only. Uh, we got a new one coming out, which we wrote together, which is called Understanding Men. We think it's a bestseller. It's outrageously good. We have one called wow. how to bring the best in a man. So there's a lot of courses on there. And then at another website, I've got marsvenuscoaching.com if coaches would like to throw in the mars venus ideas into their program or people want to become a mars venus coach we have a a, a, a four-month course on that and then one-year program to actually learn how to do it if you want to do it professionally so that's something for people they just a lot of people just do it i want to master this material and it is the course for mastering men from mars women from venus there it is that's
0: mars it right there marsvenuscoaching.com Yeah, thanks for putting that up. Yeah, no, I think it's so important. You know, I thought for the longest time when my wife, you know, gets I'll I won't say upset, but emotional. I thought that the appropriate response was just calm down. That that doesn't work very well.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, what
0: works is you calm down because usually (laughs) men start getting upset. You
1: know, one of my chapters is called The Anatomy of an Argument. Women get upset about something and then wanted to calm her down. She becomes more upset about things and he becomes upset that she's upset. And now you have an escalating argument. Uh, right. and it was, most men will come up to me and say, John, thanks so much. I just need to no, know. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to solve the problem. I can just ask questions and she's happy. She's not yeah. asking me to fix it, you know, and we, you know, we're firemen in a certain sense, you know, if there's a fire, the person we love most just jump in there and put out the fire and yeah. And the strategies we use for ourselves quite often just don't work for them. One of our strategies is uh, forget it. Don't worry about it. There's nothing I can do about it. Accept it. Uh, let's go have fun. Yeah, this, this, thing, this does not work for women. And a lot of what's happened to the young men, they're influenced by universities. They're all, psychology is teaching all men to talk about your feelings and telling women he should talk about his feelings. And when a man's upset, the worst thing he can do is talk about his feelings to the person he's upset with. If a man gets angry, his estrogen levels are going up. testosterone's going down. It's the worst condition. When you start yeah. feeling anger, if you talk about your emotions, they just get stronger and stronger. So don't talk at that time. Take time to go to your cave. And women have to understand this. He's loving you by taking time away from you so he doesn't get mad at you. Because they Still says, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's going on inside? He starts becoming irritated and annoyed. His estrogen levels start going as he's talking. Then she's going to argue with him. We have to stop escalating. And so we need to take time out, take time out. And some women say, oh, he's so mean to me, yells at me and whatever. I say, no, you should stop listening and walk out of the room. Just say, hey, you're being mean. I'm walking out of the room. Don't tell him what he should do. That's trying to control him with your unhappiness. That never works. Complaining doesn't work. There's another way to get what you want. Unfortunately, people don't know. I tell women if you complain, doesn't it, it never works? Does it? No. Well, what else am I supposed to do? They don't know what else you're supposed to do. How to ask for support in a non-demanding way, and how to train your man that doing little things for you gets big rewards. See, we live in a world where big things get big rewards. No, with women, it's lots of little things that keeps their estrogen levels up. I can bring her fifty roses, her estrogen's going to go get a surge. I can give her one rose, estrogen's going to surge. So men, when they hear this, it suddenly makes sense. They logically figure out this doesn't have to be so difficult, but we have to learn the software. It's like completely different software now because the hardware is pretty much the same, but the software has changed. Once the environment has freedom, the software changes because women can go to their male side and get stuck. They're addicted to be on their male side. Men are all addictions are estrogen stimulating for men. They make men more estrogen oriented. And the average wow. man today has half the, test, half the testosterone he had when he was a young man. Uh, it's, it's shocking. It's like we wow. lose it. And now we have all these libido products. And they're not so bad, by the way. I don't take them. But, uh, you know, it, it will give you a boost in your testosterone, all for these natural supplements. The biggest one, most powerful one that's in every one of libido, uh, libido pills is Tonkat Ali. Tonkat Ali is a Malaysian herb that kicks estrogen out of your body and prevents your testosterone from turning to estrogen. So that's the key. You're not taking testosterone. You need to make testosterone. Uh, Just taking testosterone only raises raises testosterone up, and then it converts into estrogen. And what keeps you healthy as a man is making testosterone, one of the most important things. Heart, Heart attacks only occur in men who have low testosterone and high estrogen. That's it. That's the imbalance. Wow. This is they don't say that because they, they don't advertise that because taking testosterone, injecting testosterone does not prevent you from having a heart attack. So they won't they won't talk about that. It's learning how to make it and how you make it is great sex and good relationship skills and working hard and having a good job. Uh, you wow. know, these, all these violent boys, they all have their own psychotropic drugs. Of course, you know that. But yeah. they're the drugs because already they had no fathers. A uh, wonderful book written by Warren Farrell and I is right over, right over, here, <laughs> right let there. Me you, let On me give you full
0: screen.
1: The boy crisis is how, how we can bring boys back to their power. Because right now wow. they're waiting, being indoctrinated in schools to go over their female side. They're not being challenged properly, not being treated properly. It's all... Everybody wins instead of like win lose. You have to realize the world is full of loss. You have to deal with loss. Yes. To get the encouragement you need to win. Find the way you can win. Parenting skills. The women dominate the parenting, and fathers feel left out of parenting. This all weakens masculinity in boys. So we're, we're learning. You know, it's a society we've gone so far the wrong direction. that usually when people suffer enough, they're willing to change what they think and come back. To the right to the correct thinking a correct a correct thinking is just what works you know it's just if your life's not working you're not getting all the vitamins you need as simple as that if you have covid you didn't have enough vitamin d if you if you wow. and vitamins are basically love vitamins meaning these are things that we need in terms of our lives and we don't just need men and men and women don't just need men they need a life separate from men they need children or if they don't have children they have to have garden or pet someplace where they they feel unconditional love very very important that you're not just giving love to get something that's okay and then there's work where we all work hard and yeah that produces certain hormones more for men they need that more than women but women also have a male side and today what we have is the opportunity with freedom to be both on our male and female side it's just tricky because when you're a man, you get to your female side, it's so easy to just hang out on the couch and watch TV or take your drugs, or drink too much or whatever. And for yeah. women, it's so easy to not be on your female side because your female side, for all of us, our female side is emotional. And emotion can sound a little non-logical and everyone wants to be logical today. And so that's what I'm teaching men Realize a woman's emotions don't have to be logical all the time. She's like the weather. You can't control it. And if you can't control something, you can accept it. Because, see, that's how we do it all the time. It's like, well, there's nothing I can do about it, so accept it. Well, there's nothing I can do about it, accept it. So when women on their male side, on the workplace, they can't change things so much. So they just accept it. You don't try to change it. But then they come home and they try to change their husbands. That's called displacement. All the stress of the workplace, women manage it like a man by, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, that's the way it is. I'll just let it go. But that's for emotion. For a woman, she, biologically, because she has estrogen, eight times more blood flow goes to the emotional part of the brain. But when she's not in the workplace, she's suppressing it all the time, all the time suppressing. And when she comes home, all that compounded stress gets projected onto her husband because if she's having sex with him that's called displacement this is these basic Freud ideas were great they just didn't understand that there's female side of this and male side to this men don't displace very rarely do we displace our emotions of what goes on during the day we go to our cave to forget it that's what Buddha taught meditation is you forget your problems don't think about it and your testosterone will go back up <laughs> the, the harvest, no, I- go ahead
0: it's but it's true and I you and I had a brief conversation about meditation. I've done it for every day of my life for 19 years and and it's it's one of I I I mean I, I it's a non-negotiable for me. Like even when we go on vacation, my wife and like hey, I'm meditating seeing about an hour. So um I think people really need to connect with that and yep. as go ahead
1: What's great in my marriage, okay, is my wife was also a meditator, TM teacher as well. And, and she she respected my need to meditate. She admired my need to meditate. And all meditation is, it's one form of the man's cave. And it, yeah. it's like, I learned this, I put it into words when I married Bonnie and we were married for 34 years, she passed on now. But she, uh-huh. when I when I moved into the house, uh, we moved in the house together. I started ordering magazines. I didn't even know why I was ordering magazines. I'm reading, I am reading. I don't waste my time looking at magazines. It's not my thing. All right. So, yeah. but I'm sitting there in the house and I'm reading a magazine. I go, I asked myself, why is it that I do this now? <laughs> so I put the magazine down and within a minute, my wife was after me to do something. So, <laughs> I just, oh, I, oh, you're like, she had, she had little antennas. They go, uh oh. The antennas come up and she says, inactive man can get help and so she did <laughs> that so i realized as long as i got newspaper in front of me she's not going to talk to me <laughs> oh my god see men knew that this is cultures knew this with men and their meditation are sharpening oh. their tools you go to africa you go to indigenous tribes men are in a different fire two different fires and men are sharpening their tools and women are all gossiping and talking and with the kids and everything this is biology this is how we've evolved this is our stress reduction imagine a woman When I was down in in the Amazon, living in a a village with some people for a while, and and the women would go to the river to get water. So imagine she goes late at night and she sees a tiger. What's she going to do? She's going to run back and tell somebody. She's got to tell somebody. Imagine she kept it a secret. She'd feel terrible. So women right. biologically, they tell and the men go out there quietly and scare that tiger away or shoot it or something or kill it, whatever.
0: Right. Right. So then right.
1: get quiet. When you're a hunter, you have to be quiet. You find a perch to see things. Whereas women, they talk about stuff and they ask for help and they get help and they motivate people. They make wow. noises. It's, this, This is our biology. And wow. you don't just decide not to be your biology and think you're going to be happy and fulfilled. You're going to be sick.
0: So don't identify as a walrus. And if you do, maybe <laughs> you, you need to go to marsvenus.com and get started to get re, re uh introduced to who you really are. John, you are amazing. And I I I, I, I just I want to have you on more. I wanna like oh. every remember, remember what I said to you at Ramey's. Do you remember the idea I gave you? Uh, that you, would be like tell the me number one freaking podcast in the world. I guarantee well, it. Right. You want me to have a podcast, right? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, eight minutes a day. People eight would. Day. I'm telling you, maybe people, that's it. Maybe that
1: you know during the during the lockdown, I did uh, 300 hours, but then nobody came to my website anymore. I just had too much too much material. I just sat down and gave my message. I got thir- almost 20, almost 30 books basically that i talk from and, and, but maybe if I did eight minutes, people would still go to my website.
0: (laughs) Well, everybody watching right now, number one, I've got, I've got those two books that the men are from Mars book. And I have the, your newest book um, that you just held up. I have both of those in my Amazon store. um, For those of you that follow me on Amazon, both of those, they're right next to Ramey's. (laughs) <laughs> Ramy thinks I should put his book as number one in my store. I said, dude, my books are number one and two. And <laughs> then <yours> is- <laughs> he's like, why? mine needs to be number. <laughs> I, said, oh I love Ramy though. but but um, this has been absolutely incredible. Look, Nicole Young said it or TikTok, the fastest growing social media platform in the world, still, and geez, John, you're amazing. Like, I, I just want to blow you up even further. Not that you need it, but I want to help you. Like people, everybody go buy these books. Go to MarsVenus.com right now. Get signed up on his free course. It's free. MarsVenus.com forward slash gift. Is that correct? I think yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, can go yeah. to that and, and enroll in a free course. Like this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um my wife is watching. This was an incredible interview. had no idea how much I don't know. So awesome. Maybe she'll respect my cave now. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, whoa, hold on, I gotta give you full screen on that. What in the world is that? That's another um, one, number one bestseller for a year.
1: Nobody knows about um, it now because men are from Mars supplanted it. But it's um, Mars Venus in the bedroom. Uh, this is such a fun book for couples to read. So they help men understand women, women understand men. And it's not technical. It's like you can make a little, oh, that's a cute idea. Oh, I like that idea. See, it's hard to talk about sex. Say you've been married 10 years and a woman says, you know what I'd really like is this. And he says, why, why didn't you tell me 10 years ago? <laughs> yes, it is on Audible. But it's a fun it book. on Audible? You kind of read, it's, they're short chapters and you read it and it's kind of like, you can go, oh, I like that idea. That's kind of nice. We might explore that or something like that. It makes it real easy to communicate around sex. And then, of course, then wow. I have my class on sex at MarsVenus.com, which is funny. It's a very funny talk. Uh, wow. And, 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 you know, we also have workshops. Just so people know, I do give workshops still in America around Marin, around San Francisco area. So if you're on our mailing list, we send you that probably be one another couple months. I'll do a uh, a weekend workshop, Saturday and Sunday, sometimes so in Friday. person. Yeah. In person. I work with people and they're small. They're like 40 people. That way everyone feels comfortable. They can talk and share and not everybody has to, you can be invisible or you can be very visible and I work with you. It's so much easier. You know, I still do counseling for some people and I can work with people and it takes a long time in counseling at least shorter in a weekend Cause I'll work with somebody in front of everybody and it's amazing. Everybody sees themselves in that person. And I don't want to do that, but somebody else is willing to do that. And you- <laughs> yeah. It's as if you got that counseling and, and it's very powerful. It's very powerful to see other people be revealing their challenges and having me help them. It helps everybody. So that's another option people have. And thanks for letting me talk about.
0: It. Oh God. I I'd like, I I I'm just going to throw it out there. I'll be your new Oprah and you can come <laughs> on anytime. Anytime. Call me. Ken, let's go live. Ramey does. Remy Remy calls me. He's like, "Hey, let's go do a live stream." So, hey, I I absolutely love what you're teaching. I love your message and I think that the world needs to hear more of this, especially when you have people identifying as parakeets and crazy sh- i agree so, with you absolutely like, yeah and, so I mean, it, it, i'm blown away so I,
1: i'm holding myself from talking because i know we need to
0: end this interview <laughs> so. I, hey i i got all day so i i'm more concerned about your time than mine it's my show and it's the internet we can go as long as we want so um, it's your time that I'm I'm, I'm trying to be respectful. Well, I want to say something
1: then. all right I want okay. to explain what's going on today. There's a narrative which says that uh, denormalize heterosexual marriage and family. And all that does is speaks to our most basic instincts to do what you like, do what you like. Do what you like, uh, if maintained in boundaries is good. That's a balance of your masculine that says do what works. And our feminine says, do what like, do what you like. Now this is biological. Now when I, this that's just me talking about what I think in my theory, when you yeah. when you do what works to achieve a goal, as a matter of fact, for men, one of the things you can start now is every day, write out your goals. More important than think about it, write it out, produces testosterone. Yep. Uh, a very basic thing that you're always on mission. And yep. you know, when you're driving, uh, you're on mission. So you're making testosterone when you're driving. Okay, Whenever you're on mission, you, you have a goal and you're saying, I'm, I'm doing what it takes to get there. And so you're focused on what works. All right. Now, when you're doing, instead of what you feel like, one of the biggest damages that culture has done is for this awakening of the male and female side that's happening here. Because of freedom, you can be both, but you have to still know thyself as a male if you're a man and then find your female side, integrate it in. So this is do what works is your male side do what you like and enjoy and love that's your female side, right? So we all human beings, we want to blend those two things together. We want to integrate the yin and the yang. We want to integrate the masculine and feminine. Most of therapy is integrating the light and the dark. You know, we all have this self-consciousness and we have this unconsciousness. Jung talked about this. Our whole focus here for personal growth is to bring the consciousness into the unconsciousness and therefore, it doesn't control us. And we're able to do what works. So what makes us human is the capacity to, or maybe human divine, is to self-reflect. See, humans have the ability to self-reflect on what I said, what I did, and did it work? And you can't, if you blame other people for how you feel, then you're giving up your power to reflect on what you said and what you did and how you reacted and then that didn't work.
0: Yeah. So yes,
1: blame is appropriate. Somebody hits you. Yes, they hit you. But you have to figure out now how did how did I contribute to them wanting to hit me? Okay. So did I not protect myself? Did I aggravate them? Did I do the wrong thing? Then yeah, we have to self reflect and understand how we create the mess of our lives, and then we can begin to see how we're creating the mess in the world. It's self reflection is what makes us one step higher than animals to self reflect. So mm-hmm. once I can self-reflect, then I can correct. Then I can find myself. And, and and how do I want to be and aspire towards that? Learn my lesson. You know, one of the wonderful things about Ramey's book. What's the title of Ramey's
0: book? <laughs> uh, can You Really Think and Grow
1: rich? I always think you can think and grow rich, So I say it wrong. But- Poor
0: Ramey. He can't even get done to remember the name of his book. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you really, can you really think and grow rich? Here's a guy who is billionaire, right? And so what he's done, he had his mentor and then he, and the whole story is in the book, but it's a wonderful story. It's inspiring story. And you see how he would rise and then he crashed down and then he rise higher and he crashes down and he rises higher and crashes down. Well, I look at that as, you know, this is every marriage is you fall in love and then you crash back. And then you have to learn your lesson of how you contributed to that to rise again, and then to crash down and rise again. And and so much of the time, what couples do, because they don't understand how men and women are different. That's the premise. If I understood, we think we're the same, so it's so easy to blame our partner. So if we Mm. don't take the time to introspect and explore, what did I do wrong? Now, that's very hard to do. So for as a man, as enlightened as I am, if my wife was upsetting me, I then go to my cave to reflect on what happened. First, I do something to forget what happened, temporarily forget it, to feel good. For me, it was wow. meditation, but it could also be uh, going for a drive in my car. It could also be going to the gym. I did that a lot during the COVID thing. So anything that pumps up testosterone allows me to not have so much emotion. Now, and I haven't suppressed my emotion. You see, women think, oh, you're just suppressing emotion. Therapists think that you're suppressing emotion. No, I'm balancing my hormones so I don't have these crazy negative emotions. Women Mm. have crazy negative emotions too, but they talk about it to sort it out, bring the light in it by talking about it. Men need to ignore it, bring their hormones up, then come back to your female side. And it's not as intense and explore what you're bothered about. And then you blame your partner, but you don't tell them that. See, telling somebody (laughs) just makes it more real. So what you do is you think, what did she do that I didn't like, that upset me, that bothered me? And you write out, very, you become objective. See, objectivity is testosterone. It's masculine. It doesn't get upset. You're objective. You stand back from it. Yeah. So what did she say or do? Not who she was. Oh, she was horrible. No, that, that doesn't mean anything. That's just a judgment. But what was said? And then what did she say that was bothering me? You become objective. Then you say and give details. Then basically, what did she do wrong? Then you go, what should she have done? And now you analyze, okay, what, what could she have how could she have communicated that to me? How could she have done this? What should she have been? So you write it out. Once you've done that, you have you've now reflected on what she did wrong, that frees you to say, and say now, what did I do wrong? So what did I say? What did I do? And what could I have done? And now you're solving the problem. You analyze the problem, you solve the problem. Those are big testosterone producers. And then the biggest one is you commit to not doing the wrong thing in the future. And you're done. That's your job. That's all you have to do. You don't have to go tell her what she did wrong. See, that creates harmony and love. And when you make the change, you have the power to create change in your life. Trying to change other people is not the answer. And that's what they keep trying to flood the ignorant people. You know, go out and demonstrate. Go out and beat people up. Go start fires. Go do all this crazy stuff. Blame, 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 blame. Divide, 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 divide. This is a narrative trying to break down our society to make us more dependent on an on a, on a authoritarian rule.
0: See it, you, it, you, I it so is. I'm sure you know Jack Canfield and Janet Switzer and, and the book they wrote called The Success Principles. One of the, the, the very first chapter, very first principle is take 100% responsibility for everything in your life. And that's yeah. what you're talking about. That's what I'm
1: talking about. And Jack's a good buddy of mine. We actually were in a men's group before we both became the biggest sellers, biggest selling authors in, <laughs> in the world. Wow. Actually, he's in America. Mine's in the world. <laughs> so wow. We're buddies. We're competitive. We're playfully competitive. We We did, yeah. you know, we did the personal growth stuff. And Jack teaches also amazing classes on personal growth. And I have yeah. some books on personal growth, too, called How to Get What You Want. That's another book I wrote. And, yeah. and and funny it's learning how to break through your walls is what that whole book's about and jack wow. teaches it as well and we would visualize becoming best-selling authors to, to in the in the future wow and that's how you do it wow. and this, and think and grow rich we're big fans of thinking grow rich now we're big fans yeah. of can you really think and grow rich Ramy's story it's inspirational yeah. he lives the principles to make money and you know what i have is the principles to make your make your heart grow and love and also jack really focuses a lot Mm -hmm. on just the personal growth side of it which is really really powerful although in my classes i do it all but you find your niche you know my niche is the relationship jack is the (laughs) his is the um processes and one of those processes is imagine what you want feel get in touch with what you want write it out i want i want i want i want and then imagine it's happening and and then i'm grateful i'm happy I'm excited and I'm proud. Then you bring in the positive feelings, associate positive feelings with having what you want before you have it. And that just starts growing the wiring. We're actually able to accept that much success in your life, but it also activates your brain. There's something called the reticular activating system in the brain, which if you, if you're looking for something, then you just let it go and your brain starts looking for it. It continues looking for it. How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And my example of that is back when I wrote my first book, it's what called, it's called what you feel you can heal. And this is back in 1985. Wow! And this is right at the time when Apple computers were everywhere. These little boxes, right? When it first came out. And, uh, if you were live where my office was within a, within a walking distance, there were at least eight stores that said Apple computers here. Grocery stores were selling Apple computers. Wow! (laughs) Uh, Coffee stores were selling Apple. They were everywhere. It was like a toy, you know? And my assistant said to me one day while I'm, I'm writing a book with a pencil and she says, John, you should get one of these Apple computers. And (laughs) I said, okay, where do you buy them? And she looked at me like I was a blind man or something. (laughs) There's eight of them right around the block. Are you kidding. Where do you buy them? But see, my reticular activating system wasn't looking for a computer. So it ignored right. it. Anybody can, if you need to rent an office, I know in LA, I remember that. I was needing to rent another office. Suddenly, all I saw was for rent signs, for rent signs. That's all you see. Yep. And, and, you know, if you buy a new car, it's all you're going to see is somebody else who has that new car. You know, you're looking for your, your money. Yep. You're looking for your family. You know, where are the other people? it yeah. the brain goes to work for you it does it but it particularly does it if you write out what you're wanting there's something powerful about writing it out even it's okay with a computer writing it out but it's even better when you're using your hand yeah. uh, if you realize yeah. there's all these connections between the fingers and the hands to your brain and to your higher self that's why when you're people when they meditate they do this or they here's here's a good meditation you might try this one when you put your fingers like this and you're in a meditative state and supposedly it, what i've experienced it opens the heart the throat and the prefrontal cortex so you suddenly um the energy just starts flowing there and that's for setting goals and achieving and accomplishing and creating
0: abundance in your life so and i've i've read that closes and it closes an energy loop inside of your your body yeah so it allows you
1: just keep it's called yeah. sustained flow sustained yeah. flow yeah. you're just uh My experience of that was after four years of diligent, regular meditation, then boom, something happened. And it was my experience was my mind has found its resting place. And that's what you get from learning how to meditate for everybody wanting to learn. And women today can do it, too, because you have a male side uh, activated. And it's just your mind gets so busy and you just have to find a place where you can. My mind has found it. I can just rest. My mind rests. I can just turn it on instantly. It's such a great power. Like, this is amazing. And then, you know, this guy, guy? uh, Jim Kafka, of course. Yes. So when he says your goals in writing, you feel, see, and commit to making them tangible, no longer a dream. Now it's a reality. It's your, your brain works this way. You put it out there, but what people don't realize is actually writing with your, with your hand. And there's sometimes where you can write affirmations with your other hand as well. Uh, it activates another part of your brain. You're, you're, wow. Usually, it's uh, you use your right hand, it's activating your left cortex, of the, your left side of the brain. But you want to bring in yeah. your intuitive side, which is your left hand brings in the intuitive side. And the intuitive side is also the feeling side of the brain. So you want to be able to feel and imagine uh, having what you want. And that was my wow. technique with Men from Mars when the book came out. That was after 10 years of, was it 10 years? Yeah, over 12 years of teaching classes on Minute for Mars. And at the end of my classes, people will spend an hour or two sharing what, what these are the long weekend courses, uh, what they learned. And then a part of that is they'll acknowledge to me what they're learning and how grateful they are. It's really wonderful. And so in my meditations, I would imagine putting out this book Minute for Mars and having people come up to me and saying, very things people said in the workshop so there was even more reality to it because i had experienced wow. it and then now i'm holding that vision as if more of more of that is happening and and that's why in sales there's something called a yes set a yes set is when you get a few good yeses you get a stream of them because yeah. your mind is in the gear of of thinking yes 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 at a certain point you hit your ceiling and you'll crash back down and you got to build it up again and, you know I was telling is you this
0: where story. is this where i should ask you to to come back and 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 be be on the show again
1: <laughs> okay this <is> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I used to teach seven day courses 10 hours a day at my ranch <laughs>
0: wow john yeah, you're, was, you're 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 amazing you are, you again. i love doing it. it's a
1: pleasure to be this, with you i think you'll beautiful. get some questions from people from this talk i'm happy to come back and we'll answer those questions and see where we'll go
0: Well, we're on a bunch of Facebook pages and YouTube and LinkedIn and Twitter for the two people that still use Twitter. Um, So I'm kidding. That was a joke. But John, you're amazing. You're hilarious and filled with so much wisdom. And I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for spending all of this time. It's been incredible. Thank you, Ken. real pleasure from my side, too. You have a great day. I appreciate it. All right. So if you'll hang on for me, wait, wait for me. um, I'm going to end the show and you and I can finish up real quick when we come back. So thank you all so much for watching. If you have not shared this out, you still have time to redeem yourself right now and share it out. So thank you all so much. Appreciate you. Thank you, John. You're welcome.